Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. So today we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, open it to Genesis chapter 1. And please stand from your seats as we uh, show our reverence and respect to the reading of God's words. It reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse. In the midst of the water, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under The heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry, the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetations, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to the kind to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God said, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night. And to separate the light from the darkness. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let the birds above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great 
sea creatures and every living creature that moves in with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make men in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I, was, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every kind of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, which teaches us where we came from, why we're here, why all these things exist. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us. You have revealed yourself through your creations. We thank you, God, that you are a God whom we can trust, that you are a God who would finish what you have started. And Lord, we pray today that as we come before your word, our trust in you would grow. Our hearts will yield to you. Our hearts will worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a, an age-old debate of what comes first. The chicken or the egg. And we know how the debate would play, would go. 
if you would say the chicken, they will ask, didn't the chicken come from the egg? And if you say the egg, then they would say, didn't the egg come from the chicken? Now, if we use philosophy, if we use logic in answering this question, then you would never answer the question. You'll be circling around these things and never get to arrive of what really came first, the chicken or the egg. However, if we know the Bible, it's the chicken that comes first. Because we know that God did not make an egg. God made a chicken. This would show to us how important it is that we go back to scripture and know where everything came from. Today, I can only pity people who do not know their Bibles. They are exposed to probably a million and one ideas out there of how this world came to be and where this world will be going. And if you really look at the world, if you look at what is happening with the world, with all these ideas, with all these beliefs, you know that the people do not get satisfactory answers to all their questions. In fact, they will be left with more questions. If anything, they are actually confused. They do not understand what is going on around them. How, how are you going to make sense of what is happening right now? Why, why is there a lot of suffering? Why are all these things going on? How can they understand where will this be going? What security? Where can I find security? Especially right now, this virus has really humbled us. Where even our, our, our resources might not even uh, enough to protect us. All of these things would tell us that we need to understand things in light of the scripture. Because scripture alone can give us satisfactory answers to all these questions. Why should I live my life for God? Why should we live our lives for God? Why should I worship the Lord? Or will God really redeem all things? Will everything be put back together again? These are questions that will be put to rest if we know where everything started. If we know who created everything, what his plan is. Knowing all these things, we would realize that we are supposed to live for God because he created us. We know that we are supposed to worship him because God, even in how he created all things, we would realize that he is an awesome God, a perfect God, and he deserves the worship of all his creations. And knowing this God as well will make us understand that, that this God will indeed renew all things. 
because all things are his and he has proven himself able to perfect what he has started. We entitle our message today, The God of All Creation. The God of All Creation. The Pentateuch, meaning Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, is, is one book. It is one book. It is not five books. In fact, it is not divided in the original. It is not divided together. As far as the Israelites were concerned, this is known to be the book of Moses. Genesis to Deuteronomy, as we know it, it's known to be the book of Moses. We read that one in Joshua 8, 31, Joshua 23, verse 6, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 6, and the host of more passages in the Old Testament, which calls it the book of Moses. And this, and this Pentateuch, this Torah, his first five books of the scripture, if you look at it, it is all about redemption. It's about redemption. And Genesis is an introduction to it. It sets the setting of the book of Exodus where God displayed his redemption by getting the Israelites out of Egypt. As far as theologians are concerned, if they look at the book of of. Uh, or rather the Exodus, how God brought his, his people out of Egypt, they look at it as a picture of redemption. And Gihardos Voss named it as the Old Testament revel, the Old Testament redemption. The Old Testament redemption pointing to the redemption of Christ. And this redemption, as we go to the book of Leviticus, we understand that it, is, it, it, will, it will be through a sacrifice. The center of this redemptive plan of God will be through a sacrifice because the book of um, Leviticus is filled with so much sacrifices. And of course, all these things were written on their way to the promised land. So if you look at it, it is a picture of redemption where the center is the taking out of the people from Egypt. And we have the sacrifice in the book of Leviticus and they're going towards the promised land. So if Torah, again, if, if the Pentateuch, if the first five books of the Bible is about salvation, is about redemption, then the book of Genesis, which serves as its introduction, will have already set the theme of redemption. Genesis is about redemption. The early stage. Now, the consistency of the development of the Pentateuch, if you look at it, the theme, it is so consistent. The primary theme of it, it is so consistent from Genesis to Revelation, sorry, the Genesis to the book of Deuteronomy, will make us understand that there was, there was only one author who wrote it. 
this is why, though there are a lot of theologians, liberal theologians, who pushed back and say there are five writers. Still, the overwhelming evidence points to Moses as the author, clear author of the book of Pentateuch. Although we admit that Moses did not write everything, by the way, he is like a compiler as well, and it's okay. It was an accepted way of writing a book at the time. And there's surely parts, there's surely parts that are interjected by probably Moses' disciples, like the last part of the book of Deuteronomy, after the death of Moses. Yet none of them, yet none of the theme of the Pentateuch is compromised. It is in line. Maybe because most of them were still writing under the instruction of Moses. It was acceptable again at that time. Like, like for us today, when you write a book, when a writer would write a book, he has a researcher and he has proofreaders and they can change a thing. But at the end, the author is the author. So the whole Pentateuch, we can say that Moses is the author. Moses is the author of the book of Genesis. Now, having said that one, we realize that the book of Genesis was not written in the time of Adam. It was written in the time of Moses. Now, talking about redemption, which speaks not only of a God's people, but the whole creation. When Jesus has returned, he would renew all things. The first burden to prove if there is only one is, is if there is only one God who created everything. Because why would why would God redeem all things if in the first place he is not the creator of all things? Why would he do that? Is he, redemption is to bring it back, is to put it back. You can only bring back. You can only purchase it back. You can only have it back if in the first place it is yours. So the first burden clearly for Moses is to prove to the community of faith, most especially to the Israelites in the wilderness, is that their God is the creator of all things. Now this is very important in the context of Moses. And, and the community of faith in the wilderness because they just came out from Egypt. And Egypt actually practiced polytheism. And while the Israelites at the time were still aware of their God, they have been corrupted by these beliefs. In fact, they said that when they were in the wilderness and Moses was not there because he was in the presence of God and they came out with an idea of coming up with, with, with a representation of God that they actually learned it from Egypt. So the burden here, as we look at Genesis chapter 1, 
in the creation story is to prove that their God is the only God who created everything. If Israel was to worship God alone, and if, if Israel was to believe that God would accomplish the redemption that he promised. Now, isn't this ring true to us today? We are surrounded with a lot of beliefs. And because of this, we need to have a strong conviction of the truth that God is the creator of all things. That there is no other God but God alone. That we may reject these beliefs and views around us and be faithful to God. Even call people to know God. This is also very important if we are to believe that God will renew all things one day. So Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 2 verse 3 is really about the God of all creation. So I'd like to answer this question today. Who created everything? I'd like to point out three truths about God. Three clear truths about God. In the creation story. The first truth that we find in the creation story about God is that God is the creator God. He is a God who created all things. He is the creator God. Genesis 1.1, it reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this serves like a title here. This serves like a title here. And you could not have a better title that captures the whole creation story than this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because by that title, by how Moses started Genesis 1.1, we would clearly understand that everything came out from God. That everything proceeded from Him. That there is nothing that exists which did not come from God as far as creation is concerned. In the beginning, can be best understood in light of that point when God started creating I believe John, the writer of the book of John, get inspiration in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 when he wrote, in the beginning was the Word. And in the same way, in John 1 verse 3, he then talks about the Word created everything. Because you will only understand the weight of in the beginning when you put it in light of creating, when God started creating, which means... Or which does not mean that God created everything from eternity past. Nor God has a beginning. Again, but when God started creating in the beginning. It means before God started creating. It means before he even said, let there be light. Nothing else existed but him alone. There was... But God alone. He was existing alone. Having said that one, existing alone would have already 
raised up questions in our minds and in our hearts. If, if it was us who were there, when nothing existed, how can we be sustained? Where do we get the food? Is there air to breathe? To whom would I talk to? This would have questions that, that would arise if it was us or one of us who was there from the beginning when nothing else existed. But these questions would, not, would be irrelevant when we talk about God. God being able to exist alone teaches us of his, um, of his sufficiency or what theologians call the aseity of God. That God is self-existing. God does not need anything outside of himself. To exist. Not only to exist. But he does not need anything. To be infinitely and fully happy. He is self-satisfied. So if there was nothing or if there was a time when nothing existed but God, again, then all creations come from him. All creations come from him. All things come from him. It says here in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, the Hebrew, they had no single word to describe the universe in, all, in its totality. So they wanted to express the concept of totality here by the use of heaven and the earth. It's, it's two opposites that are all inclusive. In other words, it's like a book ends, heavens and earth. Both are on the farthest end. And it means to say that everything in between and that includes all creations. All creations are created by God. Colossians 1.16, of course, tells us, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things. No wonder why we read passages like Psalm 50 verse 10 to 12, which says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are Mine. I was looking at the stars um, and Google it, and I know that there was a time that Canis Majoris was the biggest star. But I was delighted to find that there is a star which they haven't named formally yet, but they labeled it WOHG64. And, and they said, that it is 3,000 solar radii. In other words, not just the earth, not just the sun, but the solar system. 
3,000 of it. That's the size of one star. Could you imagine it? God made them all. To the, from the biggest stars in the universe, from the biggest galaxies in the universe, to the smallest atom, to the one-celled organism. God made them all. The thousands of varieties of trees with different shapes of leaves. The thousands of species. Or even the hundreds of races, the mountains, the seas, and its creatures, the birds, and everything else. When we look at all these things, we will probably think there should be billions of workers working together to create such a massive creation. There should be billions, maybe trillions, or name the numbers just to put up all these creations. But no. There were no billions of workers. There was only God who made them all. There is only one creator. From the biggest star to the one-celled organism to the smallest atom. God made them all. God owns all things. There is no space that, will, that God will not cry, mine. Abraham Kuiper said, our lives are his. Our breath, everything are his. Our lives should be lived for him and him alone because he owns us. He has the right to redeem all things because it is his to begin with. This, this also means all peoples, all peoples, regardless of race. You're an American, you're an African, whatever your race are, is every single one of us, every single people, person in this world is accountable to God because he made all of us. So whatever people may want to think, it would not change the fact that they are accountable to God. Psalm 14 verse 1 says the fools, the fools say in his heart or the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Atheists would think, would like to think that there is no God. And it makes sense. It makes sense for sinners to, to think that there is no God because if you, if you would take away from the picture that there is, a, there is a God, then you can think, you can be somehow um, live in an illusion that you will not answer anyone one day. But again, any person can think that way can make himself believe that there is no God. Yet at the end of the day, he is still accountable because he has a creator, namely God. So God is a creator God, is the creator God. Now, if God created all things, how? 
Look at the stars. Look at the seas. We ask the question, how? How exactly did God create all these things? This leads us to the second truth about God. And that is that he is a perfect God. That God is a perfect God. And it is displayed by the way he created all things. Realize everything was good. Everything is perfect, so to speak. Because God is perfect. Philosophers are saying or said everything a person would do is an extension of himself. Well, they got it right because scripture says creations reveal the glory of God. When God created, he was displaying himself. Psalm 19 verse 1, it reads, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim, proclaims his handiwork. Paul as well said in Romans 1.20, that the invisible attributes of God, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So when God started creating, he was displaying his eternal power, he's displaying his divine nature. God did not create everything because he felt alone and unhappy. On the contrary, God created everything to reveal how glorious he is. And just as he is self-satisfied, God knew he can satisfy all his creations. Therefore, when God started creating, he started revealing himself. Now, as we have this biblical frame, that as we look at the creation story, we would really see who God is. Then we ask the question, what does it reveal about God? As we look at this creation story, what does it reveal about God? Now, Genesis 1, the creation story, does not qualify. It does not qualify as a Hebrew poetry. It is actually a narrative. It is a story. It is a historical event. However, it is not your normal history or normal narrative. Miles Van Pelt called this an exalted prose narrative. Now forget about the technical term. It simply means it is historical. It is, an, it is history, but it is highly structured. It is highly structured. When it was written, it was highly structured. It means the point of the narrative, the point of the creation story is revealed by how the creation story is structured. We need to look at the structures because we will see what it seeks to reveal. There are two main structures if you look at Genesis chapter 1. One is the pattern of words of the process of creation. The patterns of words. God said, for example, and then he said, let there be pattern of words in the process of creation. Secondly, 
the structure of the creative process or the order by which God created everything, which we will touch later. So it reveals two things about the transcendent God. Now, I would say transcendent because here in creation, this would clearly separate God from all creations. It puts everything in two categories. The creator who is high above, who is infinitely higher than the creations. So he is a transcendent God. And we see that this transcendent God who created everything is a God of transcendent power. No other beings who is as powerful as he is. He has this transcendent power. And secondly, he is a God of transcendent wisdom. His, his wisdom is off the chart. Now, the, Clearly then, we see in the story that God was able to make everything good. He was able to make everything good because he is the God of transcendent power and wisdom, which all in all tells us that he is indeed perfect. So let's look at the first one, the God of transcendent power. God is infinitely higher than all his creations, and it is true in terms of power. Three things in the story which point to the transcendent power of God. First, notice carefully that in Genesis chapter 1, is different from Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, we only read God. In Genesis chapter 2, we read of the Lord God. The Lord God there, the Lord is the covenant name of God, but it is not used here in chapter 1. Some 35 times in chapter 1, the word God is mentioned, and all of it used the word Elohim, which means the Almighty God. The Almighty God, the omnipotent God. And that's the right name of God to be used here because if there is anything that this creation story displays, it is the greatness of God's power. It is the greatness of God's power. Secondly, not only the use of the name of God Elohim, omnipotent, almighty God, we also see the plot here in in verse 2. And the plot of, of the story goes like this in verse 2. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. To read Genesis 1 verse 2. It makes us realize that the question is not just who created everything. We already answered that one in in our point number one. But it also begs the question, how did everything came into being? Where did all these things come from? The word created in verse one is used only once in the whole of the Bible. It is only once. This particular word translated created, bara. It's only used here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which means created out of nothing. He created out of nothing. 
Uh, there was someone, so much talk about before God created anything, there was the earth already. Well, we can readily accept that. But what is important in the verse is when it says the earth is without form and void and dark. That's what is important there. It is actually sets in contrast to heavens and the earth in verse 1. Before it became heavens and the earth, it was formless. It was empty. And it was dark. So if it was formless, empty, and dark, how then can we have the light? How then can we have all these things? Where did all these things come from? Science would want to make sense of this. And all that they come up is that it is a product of an evolution of billions of years. When I checked the latest update, they said it is approximately 20 billion years. That the earth is 20 billion years. That it is slowly evolving. The problem with that is that up until today, if there is an evolution, it is downward because it is decaying. It is not upward. It is not something like something, uh, an object becoming better. There's no such a thing. Like an ape becoming man, there's no such a thing. No one can prove it up until this point. Now, what they missed, what the scientists missed is that the Bible or creation story in particular is not science itself. It is the story of God. If they would have considered that the, that the literature here has God at the center, then it would have answered all their questions. How did everything come how did everything, you know, start to exist? Where did all these things come from? The answer? It came from God. That's the definition of God. He does whatever he pleases. He creates something out of nothing. He is the omnipotent God. Now, also the third one that we can find here is the pattern or the process of creation. Day one, day two, day three, we would read of this. We would, we would see announcement, God said. We would see command. We would see report. We will see an evaluation. And then we will see the temporal framework of day and night. Or there was morning and there was evening. God would always start with announcing, God said, God said, verse 3, you said that, we find that one, God said, verse 6, God said, verse 9, God said, verse 11, God said, verse 14, God said, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, God said, there was an announcement. Then we also find God commanding. God commanding everything into existence. Let there be. Let there be light in verse 3. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. 
in verse 6, when he separated the water above and the water below. In verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered. He separated the water from the land. In verse 11, it says, let the earth sprout vegetation. Verse 14, let there be lights. He made the sun and the stars. In verse 20, let the the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. Verse 24, let the earth bring forth creatures according to their kinds. The animals, the creeping things, the beasts of the earth. And of course, in verse 26, um, down to verse 28, we know that God also made man. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. By the word of the Lord. And after he would command something into existence, we are then given the report. And there we begin to see the power of God because everything he would command, we are then told, and it was so. Verse 3, after he said, let there be light, it says there was light. In verse 7, we are told, and it was so. Verse 9, it was so. Verse 11, it was so. Verse 15, it was so. Verse 24, and it was so. Whatever God commanded, whatever God said, let there be, and it was so. Everything that he said came into being. And we know how beautiful was that creation of God because we then realize the fourth one of this pattern is evaluation. And God did not call on someone to validate his work. He did not create Adam first and then Adam. he would ask Adam, Adam, what would you say about the light? What would you say about the waters? What would you say about the skies? What would you say about the trees? God would not do that because there is no one who has higher standard than him. If you made the standard of what is good, the standard of what is good is God. And God is a God of, a, a God of perfection. With all his perfection, with such high standards that he has. When God saw all his creation, he find all of them as good. Again, every after he creates, he created verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, verse 31. We read all of this and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. In fact, we read of him, we read in verse 31 that it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Behold, it was very good. So we know that God announced, he 
command things into existence and whatever he commanded. And it was so. And the perfect, these perfect God, look at all his creation. And then he said it was good. It was very good. And then we would read this sentence. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. Or there was morning and there was evening. The second day. The third day. The fourth day. The fifth day. The 24-hour day gives more color to the power of God. Would all the more show how powerful God is. Although some would say, of course, the atheists would not believe on that. They would think the earth was made for billions of years. But there were those who are called theistic evolution, which means they believe in the existence of God, but they said it, it was still evolution. When, when, when it started, it was not the literal day that we have today. Every day, they said at the time, was a long day. But I believe in the 24-hour day creation. And here are some of my reasons why I believe it was a 24-hour day. First, it is the only day that the whole of history knows. It is the only day. The burden of proof lies on those who believe otherwise. The idea of a day which is not 24 day, to say the, the best of it, it is a theory. It is but a theory. There is no facts about it. It's just a theory. But the 24-hour day, as we have it today, we know it is a reality for us. So for me, it is a debate between a theory and a reality. Obviously, I would rather embrace reality than a theory. Now, secondly, the danger of entertaining the creation story, the creation story is not literal. It comes with a danger. Because they would, some would say it is just poetry and used to convey a truth. If we begin to accept that it was not literal, it was not literal, the next thing you know is you will have the idea that Adam was not literal as well. Or the important figures in the Old Testament, like Noah, like, like, like Abraham. They would then begin to say that they are not literal figure. They were just created by the writer. And you know why we could not accept this? Because the New Testament clearly believed in a literal Adam. And we should uphold it because of the gospel. If they would say it was just poetry or, or there was no literal, and then they would say there was no literal Adam, the gospel it is, is at stake. We know what the scripture is. We all fell into sin because of Adam. And the only way we can be victorious will, all, will, will be because of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. So that's my second reason. And the third reason would be if liberals or the atheistic scientists are asking, how could you explain how all these things are done in a day? 
when they say you are primitive, technology has advanced. You can no longer believe that it is a one-day creation, a 24-day creation. How can all these things come into being when it was a literal day? I think it missed, again, the literature of Scripture. Scripture is not written from the standpoint of science, but from the standpoint of God. So how did these things came into, how did these things come into being? It is exactly why the scripture or the subject of scripture is God. True science, true science is discovering the loss of nature. But never to explain, or it will never be able to explain how things came into being. Unless, unless it would accept that God made them all. So scripture, unlike science, scripture has an answer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this God of transcendent power would have nothing impossible for him to do. There's nothing impossible for him to do. Everything perfect and good was created out of nothing. This really mind-blowing. And it's all because God is a God of sovereign, omnipotent, transcendent power. And this really separates God from all of us. From all of us. Adam was tasked by God to multiply what God has given him. And in that sense, he would also create something. Like any of us. Or but like any of us, he had something to work on. If, if man will produce something today, he would have something to work on. But God did, have, did not have anything to work on. He had nothing to begin with. But then he created the heavens and the earth. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. When I think about it, I can't help but laugh. When we begin to doubt God, if, we, if he can provide for us when we see nothing, when we cannot perceive any solution to our problem, we begin to doubt him. And we have forgotten that God created everything out of nothing. And secondly, everything good was created also because God is not just a God of transcendent power. He is also a God of transcendent wisdom. The God of transcendent with wisdom. If God is transcendent in his power, so does in his wisdom. In everything he do. That's why the salvation that he provided for us. Isaiah 55 already tells us in verses 8 to 9. That his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Three things from the story. Which point to the transcendent wisdom of God. So I'd like to quickly, quickly 
point out three things from the story which point to the transcendent of God, trans- to the transcendent wisdom of God. First, the structure of the creative process. Now, in close observation, we realize that God did not just create everything in random. No, there was order in the creative process. In day one, he created light. In day two, he created the sea and the skies. In day three, he created the land. And so you would see that God started with the habitats, places. Of course, in day three, when there was a land, he then created the, the vegetations, the trees. But look at that. In day one, he created the light. And then in day four, he created the light bearers, the sun, the stars. And then day two, he created the sea and the sky. And then day five, he created the fish, the birds, the the ones who will inhabit the sea and the sky. In day three, he created the land. And then he created the land creatures, the beast, the animals, and men. So we see that God is a God of order. Even when he created, realize when people who are organized, before they will start doing, they will dissect the things into phase one, phase two, phase three, so that they can make sure that everything will be done with quality. I can see that there in God, but he does this rather perfectly. And we also see the shalom. The second one, we find the shalom or the, the order, which is basically displayed by the word separation. We, we read here that the water separates from the water. So there was an expanse in the sky and there was down, water down. And then he separate the water below and make it sea and, and the land he did this. He separated the, the, the day and the night. He separated. And every time he separates, it puts order. And if creation will stay that way where God placed them, it will remain perfect. We also see the crescendo. That God was doing this, you know, like a crescendo progressively. Like a good master planner, again, God dissected the number of days, ordered well what he will create first. Of course, there was darkness, so he first created the light, so there would be light. And we notice that that before he would create something, he would already created all it needs to flourish. We begin to see that one in day three. After he created the land, he then began to create the, the vegetations. Then he, he began to create, it was only later that he created the animals because if he created the animals first, they would not have anything to eat. And most especially in this crescendo, in this progressive creation of God, we see man as the last because he prepared everything that man needed. The wisdom of God. Then we find that that he created man after his own image and likeness. We read that one in verse 26. He created man after his own 
image and likeness. And then he then gave the dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He gave it to his rule. He gave man the capacity, and then he commanded man to, to rule over his creations. God is a God of perfect wisdom. He created everything perfectly. In fact, the word, when, when it says here, it was good. There was no imperfection on it, which would keep any of the creation not to last and not to flourish. The good there is that there was nothing in the garden, there was nothing in the creation that would keep all of his creations to, to, to flourish. Of course, he, he told the, the birds to multiply, thus implied all, the, all his creations that are procreating. They were supposed to multiply. And he also told men to multiply. The fruit tree, see, it has seeds on it. So we realized then there that it was perfect. It was good because it's like a perfect symbiosis. It was a perfect symbiosis that if sin did not come in, it would have lasted. Everything was good. It is no long it is no wonder why scientists came up with the laws of nature. You know, on earth, for example, how elements were combined rightly like two parts of oxygen so that there would be air to breathe or one part hydrogen, two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen so that we would have water to drink or the distance between the earth and the sun. All of this we realized to make life possible. It was to make life possible. So then Paul was right when Paul said, God is not a God of confusion but a God of peace, a God of shalom, a God of order. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. So I wonder, just to inject this, I wonder why we doubt the ways of God in our lives at times. Right? With the complexities of nature, with the complexities of nature, the things that God has created, and yet he perfectly put, put order in all of it. And yet, it's crazy because if we see this order in our lives, we started to doubt God. Started to doubt if God can fix it. We, we started, you know, doubting God instead of trusting him. But if this is the kind of God he is, he was able to... Pull out such creation, such perfect creation back then. You bet that he has perfect wisdom in the things that he would allow in our lives. So everything was good 
not only because he is a God of transcendent power, but also of transcendent wisdom. God made everything good. God made everything perfect because he is the God of perfect power and of perfect wisdom. This basically, so the creation reveals the glory of God in the creation story. It was good. It was perfect. Reveals that he is a perfect God. A picture of it would really be displayed when you look at verse 2 of Genesis 1. When it, the, the, everything was, when there was nothing but formless, empty darkness. Yet we look at chapter 2, verse 1. It reads, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host in them. Look at, look at that extreme. Look at this two polarity from formless, empty, and dark to heavens and the earth. How did everything came into being? How did all these things happen? It's all because God is Almighty. He just spoke things into existence. It is not by logically putting everything that we may understand. It is by faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, we understand Hebrews 11 and verse 3. So again, verse 2, formless, empty, and dark to heavens and the earth. In verse 2, nothing in between but God. He made it all. This reveals the perfection of God. If any implication of this truth, it should be throwing, it should not be throwing a host of questions. If there's any implication of this truth, it is that we stand in awe of God. That we would worship Him. That we would sing our hearts out to Him. He is our Creator. And he is our awesome creator. He is our perfect God who by his transcendent power and his transcendent wisdom made everything good. Secondly, we should have a sense that he is a God. So looking at that, we should have a sense that he is a God who clearly could not stand any imperfections. He is a God who clearly could not stand any imperfections. Can this God settle with imperfections? You bet not. If some of us, when you go home and you cannot settle down with kalat, but to fix it, how much more this God? And that's hope. As we see this character of God, this is hope for us. He will and he can put all things back together when Jesus returns. 
he could not stand imperfection. In fact, he only rested in creating when everything was completely done. This leads us to our third truth that we can see about God in the creation story. He is the God who rests. He is a God who rests. I like that. A God who rests. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, it reads, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, separated the seventh day. The book of Exodus says, you shall work six days, but on the seventh day, you cannot work. You have to stop working. You have to stop thinking of your work and devote yourself fully to God. He made it holy, separated it for himself. Because on it, on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So he made the seven day holy for his people to rest from work. Because on that day, as they rest from work, it says here, on that day, he rested from all his work. Now, we know that when it says there, he rested from all his work, it it does not mean God was so tired. God would never be tired. But he rested from creating because everything was perfect already. Everything is complete. There's nothing to work. So then we would see that this God is a God who would not forever struggle, but would complete his work. He is a God who will complete his work. In Genesis 6 verse 3, when man was very sinful, that all he think of is evil continually, we read in Genesis 6 verse 3, That it says, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide, shall not strive in man forever because he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So God shortened the days of man because of his sinfulness. God would not struggle with him forever, which the ultimate, ultimate, Display would be when God will renew all things. He could not struggle forever with sin. He would renew all things. The essence then, if we go back to Genesis 2, verse 2 to 3, was that his people would be removed from work and be reminded that God is a God who finishes his work. The Sabbath was supposed to remind Israel that just as God has, that just as God finished or completed his work of creation. Now listen, look at 
look at this Israeli journeying towards the promised land, maybe thinking, well, well, are we going to get in there? Supposedly on the seventh day, they would stop and be reminded that he is a God who completes his work. Thus, in his promised work of redemption, he would also complete it. They're supposed to hang on to it for their assurance that God will fulfill his promises, complete his promises. And when they do, when they do, only then can they truly be rested if they believe that God will complete his promises. So God, again, completing his work of creation became Israel's assurance that God will complete his work of redemption. They have the finished work of creation to assure them that God will also finish the work of redemption. And while God has renewed has not renewed all things yet, he has not yet renewed all things yet. We now have the work, we now have the finished work of Christ to see. So we do not just see God finishing creations, we also see God finishing the work of redemption in Christ Jesus in the cross of Calvary, to ponder upon so that we might have the assurance as well that God will indeed renew all things or redeem all things fully and put it back to perfection. We have, we have a greater thing to see, and that is the cross of Calvary. That is why... <laughs> Um, the church, the early church, has transferred the day of the Lord on the first day because it best reminds us of the second completed work of God. And that is the way for men to be saved and that through the cross of Calvary. So now we, only, we do not only take time to remember God in his finished work of creation, but we also remember God in his finished work of redemption. In Christ Jesus, who is our true rest. So if Israelites would be assured of God's redemption through the finished work of creation, we will be assured of the renewal of all things when we remember his finished work of redemption in Christ Jesus. He is the God who rests. One day, he will put everything in place. So how assured are we? Today, how assured are we? As we live this life and experience brokenness, experience pain in relationships, sickness, health, finances, we will experience. We are not problem-proof. We are not pain-proof. We are not sickness-proof. We will experience them all. But in the midst of all this pain and brokenness, how assured are we that one day God will renew all things? Have we come to realize? Have we come to realize that if we are to live this life with confidence, have we come to realize how important is it that we take time off 
from the daily things we do and just sit and remember God in his finished work of redemption in Christ Jesus. We should be meditating on the gospel. We should be meditating on the fact that God finished his creations. He finished the work of redemption in Christ Jesus. Because that is key to live this life with full assurance and with full confidence that everything will be well. And everything will be turned out perfect. Will end perfect again. Church, God, our God, is the perfect, perfect creator of all things. Who would not settle down with anything less than perfection. He would not settle down. He would not leave this earth broken and messy. No, he is not the kind of God. He would not settle down with anything less than perfection. And will only rest. Will only rest. When his work is completely done. We have to fully devote our lives to him. We have to fully devote our lives to him. Trust that he will complete his work of redeeming all things. Like the Israelites, we should be clear that there is only one God who created everything. We need to have a strong conviction that there is only one God who created everything. We have to realize that we are accountable to God, our creator. And we cannot acknowledge any other gods. We cannot agree to disagree with those who think that there are other gods beside God. We cannot. We cannot simply respect. We have to tell them who created everything. We have to tell them that there is only one God. Like the Israelites, how things in, came into being should not cause us to question, but to stand in awe of God, that our daily lives would be lived in worship and in praises to him. And like the Israelites, we are supposed to be reminded always that God is a God who finishes his work. Let's come before God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can live confidently in this broken world amidst all pain and problems because we know that you are the God who created all things, uphold all things, and will renew all things. Father, I pray for us as a church, Lord, that you will awaken our spirits, that you will awaken our hearts, that we would live our lives, Lord, daily, filled with worship, filled with passion for you, filled with praises for you. Father, in your goodness and grace in Christ Jesus, Father, I pray that you will continue, God, to renew us, refresh us, and revive us. And use us as your light to the world.
to lift up all these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.